The Red Light District by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 5, Polanski is on the run. Frank Jensen sat with his feet on his desk reading the sports section of the register when the telephone rang. Hello, Chief Jensen. Hello, Chief Jensen. Yes, this is Jensen. Hicks, LAPD. Yes, Hicks. What do you found? Have you found Joe? They pledged that LA? shouted Johnny Luke as he came into the room. Jensen nodded his head. Go ahead, Sergeant. Chief, I got bad news for you. Your friend just killed Charlie Stevenson and he may be responsible for the deaths of three other people, said Hicks bluntly. No, that's impossible. Joe wouldn't shoot anybody. He was just going to bring that guy to justice. We told you. I don't care. I can't believe that Joe would shoot anyone, shouted Jensen. Whether you like it or not, facts are facts. We're going to book your friend for murder as soon as we find him, and I would strongly suggest to set up roadblocks on all roads leading to your town out there, because it's more than likely that's where he'll be headed. I tell you, I don't believe it, repeated the sheriff. He said as he hung up. Pudge, you just look like you've seen a ghost, observed Luke. Johnny, Joe just killed four men. Bullshit. No bullshit, screamed Jensen as he walked over to his deputy. I just talked to that damn guy on the phone from LAPD. He said that Joe shot Stevenson and threw him off the roof. Then he shot three guys in the lobby of the building. It's no bullshit, Johnny. It's the truth. He picked up his Stetson and headed for the door. Where are you going, Pudge? I'm going over to Joe's house, he said as he paused for a second. And you keep your mouth shut until I tell Barbara what's happened. I ain't no blabbermouth, Pudge. Yeah, right. Ah, Ben, could I talk to you outside here for a few minutes? Sure, Frank. Excuse me, kids, he said as he moved onto the cement steps and shut the door behind him. Children peered out the picture window as Jensen told Ben what he had just heard on the telephone. I can't believe it, Frank, he said as he turned and ran his fingers through his graying hair. I want to talk to this guy Hicks personally. They run ballistics tests or... Ben, listen to me, said Jensen as he clutched onto his shoulders. I, deep down inside, don't believe that Joe did this, but what can we do? How can we dispute it? I don't know, said Ben as he walked off the steps and into the gravel driveway. They'll have him captured before night's out, won't they? Yep. Then we better make a call to get him some legal representation, said Ben. Right. And there's another problem, Ben said as he pushed his front teeth over his lower lip. What'll I tell them in there? She's flown off the handle, Frank. The only reason she's sleeping is because I got her a tranquilizer. 
What about those kids? They're not going to be jumping for joy when I tell them their old man just knocked off four people. Don't tell them anything. Wait until we hear from L.A. Let them get a good night's sleep. Suppose you're right. Look, call me. No, I'll call you in, uh, in a half an hour, right? You're staying here, then. I have to. What if the phone rings and Joe calls? Okay, okay, I'll keep you posted, said Jensen as he walked toward the cruiser. Ben moved up the stairs, trying to think what he was going to say to the children. Susan opened the door quickly. Well, what did he say, Ben? She asked with great anticipation. Well, they haven't heard anything yet, and the police haven't talked to Stevenson. If they can find him, I'm sure your father won't, he lied. Oh, I thought something awful had happened, said Susan as she took a deep breath and exhaled slowly. Don't worry, Susan, your father's probably on his way home. Why don't you two go in and get a good night's sleep? You're right, Ben, said Susan in a happy-go-lucky way as she headed for the bedroom. All right, Ben, what really happened out there? You're not going to play games with me, demanded Phyllis, Joe's oldest daughter. Nothing's happened, Phyllis. Go to bed, he said nervously as he sat down on the sofa and pretended to watch the ball game. Phyllis stood right in front of him. You listen to me, Ben Simpson. Either you tell me what's happened or I'll get on that phone and call Los Angeles myself. You don't want to know, he said as he crossed his arms on his chest. Believe me. Ben? Okay, sit down, he said as she sat next to him. You gotta keep this to yourself. I won't say anything. He held her hand. Your father's been accused of murder. My father wouldn't murder anyone. As Ben painstakingly revealed the sad details of the case against her father, her eyes filled and tears rolled down her face. Unlike her mother, she remained in control. I don't care what the evidence is, Ben. He wouldn't do it. You know that. Well, I'm going to call Frank Jensen in a half an hour. We'll know more by then, said Ben. My concern is my father, Ben. He's being chased by all those people who thinks he killed those men. Polanski knew he was in deep trouble. He had run for many blocks away from the Occidental building. He was winded. His shoulder ached, although the bleeding had stopped, and his clothes were saturated by the rain. He stopped a few doors down from a small bar and tried to orient himself in order to return to the motel. But he was lost and trudged up the entrance to the bar. Fortunately, the rain seemed to be subsiding, but his mind was still in a haze. He peered around the doorway and saw several men sitting at the bar watching the ball game. In the ground ball, over to the second for one, back to first double play. A sparkling play from the Angels, cutting down the go-ahead run for the Red Sox. Two down to the seventh, and the Angels outfield most back. We interrupt a normally scheduled program to bring you this bulletin for KBLX said the station announcer as Polanski listened attentively. Los Angeles Police tonight report a bizarre playing in the area of the Occidental Building downtown. Said the announcer as Polanski opened his eyes wide and his face dropped. Did our real estate salesman Charles Stevenson, patrolman Thomas Sprague, and Jorge Fernandez. An unidentified man whose name is being withheld pending notification of Ken. Put out an all points bulletin for a 45 year old man seen running from the tragedy. He has been identified as Joseph Polanski, Redstone, Arizona. The last scene he was dressed in his He ran along the sidewalk as fast as he could. 
The remaining droplets of rain dripped from the towering palms and his body became chilled with the night air blowing against his clothes. But he was running to nowhere, in a panic, and he was wearing himself down. The situation seemed hopeless as he approached a dimly lit park with considerable foliage. He slowed to a trot as his stomach cramped and his shoulder pulsated in pain. He jogged through the park entrance. His body was flailing and he walked as he came to the clearing. With great relief, he plopped onto the wet grass. Park was silent except for the sound of crickets and his deep breathing. As he lay on his back, he looked skyward. Clouds had cleared and the stars, although deadened by the city lights, shone brightly. He heard the squeal of tires and he opened his eyes and saw the bushes illuminated by the glare of headlights. In a single motion, he leaped to his feet and turned as a long black limousine slid across the grass. All the doors opened at once and Polanski prepared to die. The men in the dark suits and ski masks stepped out with their guns trained on him. Stay right where you are, Mr. Polanski, ordered the one in charge as he walked up to Polanski. Who are you? Why are you trying to kill me? asked Polanski, who was more confused than scared. Never mind, get in the car, said the man as he put the gun to Polanski's head and pushed him toward the car. Polanski was pushed and he slid into the back seat, crunched between two of the other men. The leader got in front with another man and the driver. I don't understand any of this. You're not supposed to. You were trying to kill me and now you're not. I don't understand. Shut up. Better change in plans. It's been decided that you're better off alive than dead, said the man as the car backed out of the park and onto the street. Where are we going? You're going to sleep, said the man next to him as he injected something into Polanski's arm. Polanski became instantly groggy and went out. Join us next time for another exciting episode of The Red Light District by Robert P. Fitton. Presented by Fitton Theater of the Words.